0: Hello everybody, happy Easter. You are listening to Ryan Pauley with Coffee House Questions. It is Saturday night. Tomorrow is Easter Sunday. And so I wanted to sit down and talk with you guys about the resurrection, right? The the big event. I think one of the greatest events in all of history. At least one that has probably the biggest significance in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so with so many people coming together and celebrating, there's been just a lot of information published on this in the last few days, and I think rightfully so. There's a lot to say a- a- about it. There's a lot of um, opposition to it. And-, and so this is the time where we can really highlight uh, who Jesus was, what he came to do, and, and what the resurrection means for us. And so I, I was planning on, on recording this podcast on Friday. I, I posted a blog series on Thursday, I believe. And so if you haven't seen that, I encourage you to go to coffeehousequestions.com and check that out. Uh, it's the blog series that I posted about a year ago, uh, seven parts on the resurrection of Jesus. And so just covering a wide range of evidences for the resurrection as well as responding to the naturalistic explanations. And so I posted that on Thursday, and I was planning to record this on Friday. And then I decided that this weekend I would go see the Case for Christ movie. And so I thought, hey, if I'm going to see the movie, uh, I'm going to wait till after the movie to record the podcast, because I know that... uh, what I was going to be talking about here was going to be what the movie dealt with. And so I wanted to see that and, and be able to discuss that as well. And so I just saw that movie tonight and I would recommend it. You know, I really enjoyed it. I went with my roommate. Um, I thought it was very well done and, uh, and it was just, um, it was a good movie. And, and I really enjoyed uh, especially being uh, in apologetics. I really enjoyed how accurate and thorough they were with the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And, and what was really good is that they did not um, uh, lose, so to speak, uh, uh, part of the acting and the that sort of quality for the arguments. Uh, I think that they had really good arguments, but it, but they also had really good acting, and I thought it was a good storyline. And, and just the story of Lee Strobel uh, is an incredible story. And so that is what I want to talk about uh, in this episode with you guys today. And so, uh, as always, just know send in those questions. I love getting the questions from you, all the listeners. And, and even if you don't have questions, it, I just really enjoy hearing from people. And so, uh, if you're listening, if I haven't, if I don't know you, uh, if, if uh, you're maybe a recent listener or someone that I'm just not connected with, um, I would love to hear from you. And so just to write in and let me know you're listening would be just so cool. And just hear where some of the listeners come from because I, I see online where the downloads come from and it's coming from all over the world. And so uh, I would love to hear from you. And so if you uh, uh, want to send in your questions or comments or just, uh, hey, I'm listening from here uh, on on email, you can do that at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions is that page. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, ryanpolly 3 or by text message at 714-989-6927. And so those are all the ways that you can connect with me. And, and again, I would just love to hear from you guys and see kind of where this this podcast is getting out to, and that would just be really cool. So with that, um, I think the first thing that I, I really kind of want to emphasize when discussing the resurrection is, is kind of its significance with students now. Now, I guess what I mean by that is not the significance of the resurrection, because that is you, that is you know it's significant for all of us, but at least the evidence of the resurrection. Many times when I tell people that I teach high school theology, apologetics, worldview, kind of ethics, uh, I kind of get this: "Wow, you teach that to high schoolers?" Almost like it's too much, and I say, "Yeah, absolutely." Uh, high schoolers crave this information and it's not too much for them and they can get it and and all these sort of things. And I just think it's so valuable. In fact, we need to start even sooner. Um, You know, Jay Warner Wallace just came out with Cold Case Christianity for Kids. So he has a kid's book, I believe it's for eight to 10 year olds uh, or eight to 12, somewhere around there, for the the truth of the Gospels, uh, defending the reliability of the New Testament for kids. And so we need to start this early. And, and start exposing our students early. And so what I do in my class is, is I cover the evidence for the resurrection. And, I, and I've recorded a podcast on this before, kind of how I do it. But mainly, I, I start out by getting my students to brainstorm all of the possibilities that they can think of. What are possible explanations as far as, you know, Jesus didn't exist to he had a twin uh, brother, the tomb was empty, uh, or the, uh, the body was stolen, or the missing body, or the misplaced body, or wrong tomb, hallucination theory, all these other theories. And they just try to think of everything they possibly can think of. And I don't want to limit the kind of the possibility, so to speak. I want them to create anything that they can think of. And then the next thing that we do is we look at the evidence, And the four main pieces of evidence that I want to kind of go over and what we're going to be looking at, and even what the Case for Christ movie presented, was that Jesus was crucified and died by crucifixion, that the tomb was empty, that the disciples believed to have seen the risen Jesus after the death and burial, and that the lives were changed. And their lives are changed. And so I think those are four big pieces. And, and there was an interesting quote in the movie where where Lee Strobel, you know, before converting, said, you know, this is a miracle. You can't prove a miracle historically. How do you do that? And this is where he was talking to Gary Habermas in the movie, uh, who's a uh, New Testament historian and, and, and a scholar um, and Christian apologist. And he says... Yes, we can. All we have to do is show historically that he was alive, that he died and he was seen alive after his death. And if we can show that historically, and that's an a historical event, then we can show that the resurrection of Jesus happened and that that miracle happened. And so this can' this is something. and so don't let anyone tell you that this is a miracle, therefore it cannot be historically proven. It absolutely can. And that's how we do it. And so we look at those four things, that Jesus died on the cross, that he the, the um, tomb was empty, the disciples believed to have seen him after the death and, and burial, and that the disciples' lives were changed. And so this is kind of the evidence that I present to my students, and I give them reasons that we're going to go over here in a little bit. And then I ask them to eliminate possibilities based on the evidence. And so, obviously, kind of, you know, you you compare your evidences and your explanations. This is kind of what Jay Warner Wallace talks about in his, uh, in the way he explains the resurrection. And so the explanation or the evidence of that Jesus died by crucifixion would cross out the explanation that Jesus never existed. It would also cross out the swoon theory that Jesus just fainted on the cross. And so you can go through and with the historical evidence, you can cross out the possible explanations until what I believe is the most reliable and the best explanation is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And the only kind of counter argument to this I believe is the fact that it's a miracle and that the supernatural has to exist and God has to exist. But if God exists, then he can raise someone from the dead. That is simple. If God can create everything from nothing, then bringing someone back to life is easy. And so that's kind of how we do this in my class. And so I did that with my students and I've done that with students and and I've then asked students to respond and to kind of write a short summary of of what they thought and how they they liked this approach. And so I want to read just a couple uh, to you and all these quotes that I'm going to be reading are posted at Coffeehouse Questions. Um, But I just want to read just a couple to you. one student wrote this lecture on the resurrection really opened my eyes to why the Christian belief of Jesus rising from the grave is the true event. Another said, I have never had this kind of approach about the resurrection. It was interesting, gave me more knowledge about Christianity. Now there's other ones that kind of, uh, point to this idea um, one student said it very systematic and helpful for why we understand and believe in the resurrection. And so students really, I think, like this information. They like this sort of approach. The last one I'll just read to you says, I think this approach on the resurrection makes it easier to understand and makes it seem more likely to have happened. It shows how the resurrection is more than just a story. This isn't just a story that we as Christians tell. This isn't just a story that's in a movie. You know, I hope no one goes and sees the movie and thinks, oh, that's just a movie. But really, the, the information being shared in this movie really is true. And what I found with my students is the way that they saw this after going over this lecture, it really transformed them. And so this evidence is huge. And so I think just having a basic understanding of this evidence uh, is, is can be transformative, especially if we get into conversations with people like I did one time on an airplane. Uh, I've shared this story before, but it, I, there's one time I was sitting on the airplane. I don't remember where I was flying, but I always introduce myself to the person when I sit down just to see if they want to have a conversation. And So this guy sits down next to me. I said, hey, hello, how you doing? And looked at him, and he just looked at me, and he man he did not look like he wanted to talk and he looked a little bit upset and so i said okay fine i'll let you kind of do your own thing and so i started reading my book and i was reading the five sacred crossings by craig hazen uh which is a great book but it talks about how hey if you're going on a worldview uh if you're searching for religions it makes the most sense to start with christianity and so i was reading that about an hour into the flight the guy looks over to me and said hey what are you reading and so i began to explain this book to him we got into this conversation and it soon got to the resurrection because he said that, hey, there is, you know, there's no good reason to believe in any of the claims of Christianity. Uh, it just makes no sense. And, you know, all this stuff was written really late and just kind of started going over all these reasons why we shouldn't really believe in what uh, these different religious viewpoints claim. And I said, well, hey, if the information that we have, is early, then we can rely on it. And that is what we have. And that's what I think if you're going to just know one thing when it comes to the resurrection, I think this is a huge thing, is that the information that we have comes very early. Here's one uh, quote. This is from uh, Gary Habermas's, Dr. Gary Habermas's book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. He writes, in fact, many critical scholars hold that Paul received it, meaning the the um, the creed in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul lists that Jesus you know, died by crucifixion, that he was buried, that uh, he was raised and he appeared to all these people. And he's saying that many critical scholars hold that Paul received it from the disciples, Peter and James, while visiting in Jerusalem three years after his conversion. If so, Paul learned it within five years of Jesus' crucifixion from the disciples themselves. And so here we see is that in 1 Corinthians 15, this creed was taken or was received within five years of the crucifixion. Now, this isn't just coming from a Christian scholar. The atheist historian Gerd Ludman, and this was also mentioned in the movie, he admits that first the Creed in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and here's what Gerd Ludman says. We can assume that all the elements in the tradition are to be dated from the first two years after the crucifixion of Jesus. It is also likely, for 1 Corinthians 15, 6 to 7, since the conversion of Paul lies at the chronological end of the appearances cited in its probably, and is probably to be thought of as not later than three years after the death of Jesus. And that's where that quote ends. So here you have atheist historian saying, hey, this information in 1 Corinthians 15 comes from within two years to three years of the death of Jesus. Now I remember uh talking to someone online once and and they were claiming that everything in the gospels was late and I brought up uh 1 Corinthians 15. and I said, "You know, that's known to be very early." And they said, "Well, I don't know about that." And I said, "Well, Gerd Ludemann, he puts it at 2 to 3 years after the event itself." And this person said, "Well, you know, I I don't know about Gerd Ludemann, but you know, I would suggest looking up Bart Ehrman." Now, Bart Ehrman, again, is a very skeptical New Testament historian. Uh, And he also puts it extremely early. In fact, here's one quote from him. He says, historians, of course, have no difficulty whatsoever speaking about the belief in Jesus' resurrection, since this is a matter of public record. For it is a historical fact that some of Jesus' followers came to believe that he had been raised from the dead soon after his execution. We know some of these believers by name. One of them, the Apostle Paul, claims quite plainly to have seen Jesus alive after his death. And so here we have even Gerd I'm uh, sorry, even Bart Ehrman saying, you know, we this is a historical fact that came from very early and puts it, I believe it, within five years of the event itself. And so here we have a very early source. And so that's one thing I brought up with this guy. I said, you know, this information that we have on the burial, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus uh, and the appearances, it comes from within five years of the event itself. And so that is something that you can't just make up. And that's when he starts saying, well, there's lots of other possible explanations. I said, okay, what are they? You know, we don't need to be afraid of these. He said, well, the disciples could have stolen the body. Yeah, they could have. Absolutely. But is there any reason to believe that they did? And now, and we're going to kind of get to some of these. The next thing he said, well, the Romans could have shipped the body. And so he starts going through some of these explanations. And so that, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. And that's, and so we first have to start with the, kind of these four details. So Jesus dying by crucifixion, this is multiply attested, many different sources. We have non-Christian and Christian sources talking about the 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 crucifixion of Jesus. Even John Dominic Crossan, a, a skeptic, he writes, you know, I take it absolutely for granted that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And so we have the, these confirming evidences it's multiply attested. Uh, as I just said, these reports come very early, um, and, and there is embarrassing testimony involved with the women discovering the tomb, um, and the low probability of someone ever surviving a crucifixion. And so all of these things put together gives us very good reason to believe that Jesus really was crucified and died on the cross. And in fact, even, again, uh, atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludman, he says, um, the fact of Jesus's death as the consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. And so, again, you know, having atheist scholars saying these sort of things, they're not just going to lie about that stuff. This isn't just biased. Um one interesting thing on the death of Jesus on the cross that came up in the movie is that uh, he said, well, maybe Jesus didn't actually die. You know, maybe he, he came off the cross and he was healed. And, and this is something that is, is taught by some uh, sects of Islam, that, that it was a swoon theory that Jesus only fainted on the cross because, you know, the Roman soldiers, they weren't doctors. They didn't know that Jesus was dead or not. And maybe they made a mistake. And and what was funny in the, the movie is that Lee Strobel is talking to this doctor, and he said, you know, doctor, you just believe Jesus died on the cross because you're biased. You know, and all these all these um, scholars that I'm talking to are biased because they're all Christians, so of course they believe the things they do. And so the doctor in the movie said, well, let me give you one source that's not biased. He goes, what do you think about the Journal of American Medical Association? And in the movie, Lee Strobel says, well, yeah, that's a very— Respectable journal, and he says, "Okay, well, look at this." And and they quoted this uh, in the movie, and it's I have also here uh, in my blog post that I did a while back uh, because this is an important quote. And here, the Journal of American Medical Association uh, did a s- study on Jesus's crucifixion and said clearly, the weight of historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted, and supports the tr- traditional view that the spear thrust between the ribs probably perforated not only the right lung, but also the pericardium and the heart, and thereby ensured his death. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. And so here, anything that we want to present that says Jesus didn't really die goes against modern medical knowledge. And so I think that there's, again, very good reason to believe that Jesus died. We also have the burial account. Again, we have very good reason to believe that Jesus was buried by Joseph of Arimathea. That, again, is multiply attested, but also recognizing that Joseph of Arimathea was one of 70 members of the Sanhedrin. And so if the disciples are going to make up someone to bury Joseph to say that he's part of the Sanhedrin, if that person doesn't even exist, that's going to be very easy to find out. Now, if Joseph of Arimathea does exist and he is part of the Sanhedrin, then you could just go up to him and say, hey, did you bury Joseph? Did you bury Jesus? And if so, where is he? Where did you put him? And so to create this, uh, it doesn't seem like this is something that they would just make up, that they would lie about. And so this laids, uh, this gives credibility to this. And so where even, you know, we have uh, there's New Testament scholars that say, you know, this is a very plausibly you know, historical character that this um, happened. And so, since we kind of know where the tomb was, we now have the empty tomb. And again, there is no evidence whatsoever that shows that the tomb was not empty. (coughs) And a couple things that are just important to point out here is, one, that the tomb was in Jerusalem, and it's also Jerusalem where the disciples began to preach about the empty tomb. Right? And so if the disciples, 40 days later, are going to go around saying, hey, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. All they had to do is just walk down to the tomb and show the body. We, we knew where it was. It was buried by Joseph of Arimathea. And so this would have been very easy to discredit the disciples. And so if they wanted to get away with a lie, then they would have to go to a town far away where no one knew where Jesus was really buried. And then they might succeed in convincing everyone that the tomb was empty. But to do it in that same town would be have been very difficult had the tomb not been empty. Now, I do think it's also interesting that, you know, Matthew in his gospel, he kind of gives tells us that even the enemies admitted the tomb being empty because they, the religious leaders told the soldiers to go out and lie and say, hey, his disciples came at night and took the body while we were asleep. Now, again, just like a student... And and their homework, a student doesn't lie to the teacher. I've never had a student lie to me and and give me an excuse for why their homework wasn't done when it was done. When it's done, they just turn it in. The only reason they're going to create a lie and say, oh, well, this event happened last night and so I couldn't get it. Can I please have an extension? Is if the homework is not done. And the same thing is true here that if Jesus' body was in the tomb, there's no reason to lie about it. The only reason you want to create a lie saying the disciples stole the body is if the tomb is empty. Now, I don't, I, I think that this is kind of a funny point, side point, but it says, tell everybody that his disciples came by night and stole the body while we were asleep. Now, if the soldiers were asleep, then they wouldn't know that it was the disciples that stole the body. And if the disciples if they did know the disciples stole the body, then obviously they weren't asleep. And so I think even that lie seems to break down very quickly. Again, we have this tomb that is uh, discovered first by women, uh, which again leads some credibility. Um, And so these are some very, uh, again, very reliable historical facts that we have that Jesus was crucified, died, and buried. The tomb was found empty. Now, I feel like I'm going through this very quickly. And again, everything is posted at coffeehousequestions.com. But this is where you kind of get to these uh, naturalistic explanations. Because of the evidence, I believe, is so strong that Jesus was killed by crucifixion and that the tomb was empty. Now we have to find ways to explain this. So just like the guy in the airplane, you can say, well, the disciples stole the body. Well, why would the disciples steal the body? And if they did steal the body, then you're telling me that they're going around lying about it. They would have to hide the body, dispose of it, and and then lie about it, and then be willing to die for what they knew was a lie. And and that seems very unlikely, but also we have no evidence. We have no reason to believe the disciples stole the body. And so again, if we want to base our conclusions on evidence, then we can't come to the conclusion that this uh, is what happened. Now, well, what if the body was just moved? Now, this is the second thing the guy in the airplane said. He said, well, maybe the Romans took the body and shipped it back to Rome to, to prove to Caesar that Jesus was dead. Well, if the body was just moved and the disciples were unaware, then why wouldn't the Romans present the body when the disciples started to say, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. Look, the tomb is empty. Then the Romans would have just come out and said, oh no, we took the body. We shipped it back to Rome. Look, there it is. And they should have been able to present the body. However, again, there is no reason to believe that this is what happened, um, and, and and there's no evidence in support of this, and so this is this is something that has not been accepted by scholars over the last you know hundred years because this is just something that isn't based on the findings. And so then the last kind of naturalistic explanation that we have for this is, well, maybe it was the wrong tomb. Maybe the, the, the women went to the wrong tomb. Again, there's good reason to believe this is not what happened because there's no evidence that supports a wrong tomb theory. If the women and the disciples had gone to the wrong tomb, then the Romans and the Jewish authorities would have just been able to pull Jesus' body out of the right tomb. But also we know that Joseph of Arimathea is the one that buried the body and we would have known where it's at. And so again, you're left with having to say that, hey, look, the, the fact that the tomb was empty, man, this makes a whole lot of sense. And that this has to be explained. And that's why we now get to the next kind of big thing is the disciples began to claim that they had experienced the risen Jesus. right? We see a long list of people saying, look, we saw Jesus alive. And this is mentioned in the creed in 1 Corinthians 15. Now in the movie, this was kind of a big part. He said, well, okay, Maybe the tomb was empty and all this sort of things. Who knows how what happened in the body? But you know, the disciples couldn't really have seen Jesus. Jesus had died. This this can't be possible. They had to have hallucinated it. And, and so this is what has to happen. And here we have even uh, Richard Carrier, a, a skeptic, uh, he says, I believe the best explanation, consistent with both scientific findings and the surviving evidence, particular to Christianity and the general cultural milieu in which it arose, is that the first Christians experienced hallucinations of the risen Christ of one form or another. Gerludmann, he says... But not long after that Friday on which Jesus died, Cephas saw Jesus alive in a vision, which also had uh, auditory features, and this event led to uh, incomparable chain reactions. And so here we have many scholars, uh, uh, non-Christian scholars, saying, well, hey, the hallucination theory seems to make a whole lot of sense. So is it possible for this to happen? Well, there's a couple of big problems, and this again also came up in the movie. In fact, even at one point in the movie, uh, Lee Strobel goes to visit an a, a, a agnostic um, psychologist and talks to her, and she kind of gives this exact same thing, uh, the same evidence or the same reason, and that hallucinations are not group events. Hallucinations are like dreams, and dreams are individual occurrences. Here's a a short quote from uh, Dr. Uh, Sibke, a licensed psychologist, Um, and he says, I have surveyed the professional literature, peer-reviewed journal articles, and books written by psychologists, psychiatrists, and other relevant healthcare professionals during the past two decades and have yet to find a single documented case of a group hallucination. That is, an event for which more than one person purportedly shared in a visual or other sensory perception where there was clearly no external referent. And so here we get, not a single example in the professional literature of group hallucinations. And so this seems to be a big problem. And so when we see things in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at the same time, these were uh, not just Christians too, right? There were groups. Uh, this is different settings. These are different times, different environments. Some were outside, some were inside. They were followers of Jesus, but also non-followers of Jesus, All right? We have one of the appearances is Paul, on the road to Damascus when he was Saul, one of the enemies of the church. Another one of the appearances was James, the brother of Jesus, right? Who was not much of a believer because, you know, think about that. How much would your brother have to convince you that he was God? What would he have to do? right? And so James, growing up with Jesus, I can see as being very skeptical of the claims of his brother And so, but another one of those things is when Jesus finally appeared to James, there was a big transformation. And so that is a huge uh, impact on this. And so it's not just the followers of Jesus that saw him, uh, but there was uh, many different people in different settings, over 500 at one time, that again can best be explained by the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so that leaves us kind of with the last big piece is that the disciples suffered for their testimony and some of them were killed. We have examples uh, and, and, and knowledge of certain disciples that went through excruciating deaths for their belief in the resurrection. And so with this information, the fact that Jesus died by crucifixion, the tomb was empty. They believed to have seen him after the death and that their lives were transformed. It's good reason to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and therefore we have something great to celebrate tomorrow on Easter Sunday. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. You've been listening to Coffee House Questions with Ryan Polly.